Man, I just want to reiterate, if you're not familiar with the moving of the Holy Spirit, what you've experienced uh, is, could be a few things, word of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, words of exhortation, uh, could be prophetic. Uh, I think maybe we've had a little bit of all those things. Uh, and we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today through people. Uh, sometimes that's a tongue and an interpretation of tongues. Sometimes that's what you experienced this morning. And so I just want you to know it's not weird and it's very biblical. It's in uh, several places in the New Testament. And, and if you have any questions or concerns about it, we are happy uh, to share with you and help you hopefully understand anything that is confusing to you. Man, I'm going to move quickly through this message this morning, but before I do, I just want to mention next Sunday is going to be, it's the fifth Sunday of the, of the month, and so we're going to do a special thing, and all of our kids are going to be in here, okay? So mom and dad, chill out, because it's going to be okay. You can do anything for an hour, right? Maybe not, okay, but your kids are going to be great, and I'm planning some special things for them, and we're going to have some activity packs for them as well. And so if you, you know, you're like, oh, man, I'm just going to stay home because my kid's so rambunctious. Please don't do that. I want your children to see the moving of the Holy Spirit in, in our midst, okay? I, how many of you agree with that? You need, they need to see that. They need to see it. And so we're only going to do this a few times a year, so we can, we'll put up with it. And if your baby's crying, I will carry that baby around and preach at the same time. Because <sighs> I like babies. Okay. So on your way out today, you're going to receive, uh, just so we can even out the food, uh, you're going to receive either uh, an orange slip, which asks you to bring a side dish, uh, or a green slip, which, a which asks you to bring a dessert. And so those will be uh, at the close of the service. So, you know, if you've got like a spectacular family generational side dish, then just tell them that and they'll give you a side dish because we want you to bring your best, okay? I look forward to good food at family dinners. How many of you are with me? I mean, nobody goes to grandma's house and like, man, I hope she makes that really bad liver and onions dish, you know? If you were, if you were praying about liver and onions, just pray again because that's not the Lord. The Lord was not in that. That was not a prophetic word, okay? So, so uh, what we want to do is just gather together and with fellowship. Uh, we're, we're go we are going to try to shorten the service a little bit, and by the word try, I mean try, uh, but I think we'll be able to do that. Uh, it's going to be a really fun moment here together uh, in this room. So please, please plan for that. Come, get you a good place to sit. It's going to be wonderful. I'll probably just warning you, going to have the kids come down front anyway and, and have some fun with them for some portion of the message. So it'll be good. Uh, so plan to stay. That's the big thing. Please stay. Don't just run out. I realize if you've got other obligations, we understand that. We love you. But I, I would love it personally if you would stay with us and be part of that moment uh, as we gather together. It may be chaos. I'm just warning you, it might be chaos and it, it, you might not be able to find great seating and whatever, but it's going to be, how many of you know, it's going to be okay. We're going to live. Okay. Everybody's going to be going to be fine. We're going to cook uh, burgers and dogs, I think on our grills. And uh, so it's just, it's just going to be a wonderful day. I'd like you to come. The other thing that's going to happen next Sunday is water baptism. And so if you would like to be baptized in water, or uh, I asked Pastor Mark today, to he's our next-gen pastor, to say something to the kids. So some of you may have kids come home today and say, man, I'd really like to be baptized next week. I would love it if you would do that. And the uh, two ways to sign up, you can email the church office, Lydia at the church office, or on the Church Center app right on the front page. There's a way to sign up there too. Please 
help us with that so we can be planned uh, and ready for you to sign up. Uh, one more thing before I go forward, and that is this. There is uh, Kingdom Builders is a wonderful, powerful opportunity to give to missions and local things and all the things that we do around, around both around here as well as around the world. And if you made, uh, if you're giving to Kingdom Builders regularly, like that's your thing, man, you give to Kingdom Builders, we have t-shirts for you. Because we'll do lots of things for a t-shirt. That's my theory. So if you would pick up your t-shirt today uh, at the Main Street Theater, we would love to give you a t-shirt. And you're like, man, I didn't order one. That's all right. We'll order more. We know who makes them. So we can do that if we need to. Uh, But man, I I just want to thank you for pouring into Kingdom Builders. And, you know, as Candace said earlier this morning, the 11 folks who went to uh, Morocco, thank you deeply for what you are giving. Our missionaries, 84 missionaries around the world, every single month, thank you for the, for the investment you're making in Kingdom Builders. So I just personally thank you very much. And if you are a giver, please stop by and pick that up. Everybody with me? Are you tired yet? I'm just getting warmed up. James chapter 2, I'm going to hit the highlights. I tell you, man, I'm just, I'm always glad when God moves. He's so much better than I am. Amen. It might be rude if you say amen, but I'll say amen. And Isaac will say amen. (laughs) So here's the question that James is getting to. Do you believe? How many of you believe in God the Father? You believe in Jesus I see like four hands. How many of you, this is interactive, people. Do you believe? How many of you believe? I would assume if you didn't believe, you probably wouldn't be here this morning. You probably have other things you could put your life to. Some of you would be on the golf course. Some, well, I don't know if it's raining. Some of you would be just sleeping in, having waffles in bed, whatever. There's lots of things you can do. But because you believe You've come today to worship the Lord. So I assume that you're a believer. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what John says, you will be saved. Amen? If you believe on the Lord, I mean, that's the gospel, right? So is faith, here's the question James raises, is faith in Jesus enough to be saved? Dun, dun, dun. Like if you were raised kind of evangelical, then you know we're we're on the Lutheran side that we are faith, we are saved by faith and grace alone, right? How many of you know the history of the Reformation? Anybody? Of course. Anybody else know the history of the Reformation? So the Reformation happened because all the Catholics said, no, 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 it's not just faith. It's this and this and this and this and this. Kind of like the Pharisees started to do in Jesus' days, where the Pharisees would say, no, it's not enough to believe in God, but you also have to follow this, this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. And so there, it grew into this whole list or this whole uh, you know, dogma of religion that just just, you know, people had to live by in order that they felt to be saved. So here's the thing about faith. And this is something James tells us. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. You believe there is one God. And this is how I picture James. You believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. He says, you believe there's one God, and 
That's wonderful, man. Thumbs up to you. But even the demons believe that, and they believe it and shudder. Like it's such a powerful thing to believe in God that they shudder. The demons shudder. If you didn't think demons were real and you think that is just Hollywood and hogwash, you are wrong. Demons are real. And they believe in God. But demons are not saved. Although by that passage in John uh, where it says, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If they believe, and we know in the stories, right, when Jesus would encounter a demon, they would say, oh, son of man, leave me alone. So they knew who he was. They believed who he was. And so by that definition alone, wouldn't demons be eligible for salvation? That just seems crazy to me. Here's the difference. Demons do not do good works for Christ on his behalf. So their faith in God is not a saving faith. Did you know that you can have faith in God and not be saved? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will. On that day, talking about the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. That's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering to think you can grow up even in the assemblies of God. We're assemblies of God. If you didn't know that, now you know. You can grow up in the assemblies of God and not have a saving faith. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. Not everyone who has faith, who believes, who just believes, will have a saving faith. Seems like, to me, there's a contradiction. James says this in verse 14, My Christian brothers, what good does it do if you say you have faith but do not do things that prove that you have faith? Can that kind of faith save you from the punishment of sin? Doesn't that seem like he's contradicting the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, so that nobody can boast about it. Nobody can say, Deanne, I've done more good works than you. I haven't done as many good works as Deanne. But nobody can boast. She cannot come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I've done more good works than you. I am more saved than you are. How many of you know? Aren't you thankful that's not a thing? Like, aren't you glad, like, once a year we don't have to come in and, like, list all of our works and, yeah. And so it seems a little bit like James and the Apostle Paul are contradicting themselves. And in reality, they're really complimenting themselves, complimenting one another. Let me show you how, just, just quickly, because I think it's important. In verse 10, even, Paul says this, for we are God, right after he says, it's not of works so nobody can boast, he says, because you're his masterpiece. I like that version. Doesn't that feel better than you're his workmanship? You're his masterpiece created anew in Christ. Why? So that you can do the good things he planned 
long ago. It sure seems like Paul is saying, look, salvation, your name written in the book is not by works. You cannot earn it. You cannot, you know, do enough good things to get to heaven. I mean, aren't you glad? Uh, I've been thinking about the kids service. Oh, you can't get to heaven. You let me down. You let me down. We're going to practice that for next Sunday because we might do that song. So you guys need to go look it up on YouTube and remember what it is. Paul is saying, look, you can be saved by grace alone, but you're not going to get to heaven by doing good things. But there is this set of good things that God has planned for us. So we're saved by grace, but that faith of salvation is not a stagnant grace. It's not a stagnant faith. Are you with me? It's a transformational faith. And all James is trying to say is this. If I boil the whole passage down, here's what he's saying. If you have faith that has not transformed your life, resulting in the things of God and the purposes of God and the hopes of God and the plans of God, then your faith is probably not a real faith. That's the bottom line of what James is trying to say. He's not trying to say you're not saved if you have faith in Jesus. Uh, He's not trying to say that. He's just saying, look, you tell me that you have faith, so do the demons. And it's not a big deal that you have faith. What's a big deal is if that faith transforms your life and makes you do things and become somebody you would not have otherwise become. That's the point of this kind of faith. So why is it important to understand this? Because faith either transforms us or is dead. And I want to draw a very clear distinction. I don't believe there is really a gray area for that. Are you with me? It's not like, how many of you know you can't kind of be alive? (laughs) Right? Well, he's kind of alive. I'm not sure. I mean, you're either alive or you're not alive. So James is like, look, you either have a living faith or you have a dead faith. One of the two is true of you. Here's what he says in verse 15. To give us an example, what if a Christian does not have clothes or food. He's using very practical thought here. And one of you says to him, goodbye, keep yourself warm and well-fed. How many of you know that's just salt right in the wound? Keep yourself warm and well-fed. But if you do not give him what he needs, how does that help? A faith that does not do things is a dead faith. Here's where I think it is most prominent in the church today. You talk to somebody, they share things happening in their life, and we say, what do we say? Oh, I'll pray for you. Sometimes we have it within our power, within our means, to move right to the need and take care of it. But instead, we take the easy way out and we say, be well fed and rested, a.k.a., hey, I'll I'll be praying for you, when actually there's something that we could do about it. Are you with me? I'm not throwing stones at you at all. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say maybe we need to think about that more clearly as we go about our faith and our day and we work through those things that God brings our way. Maybe we should say, maybe, God, the the reason I'm having this conversation is not because God wants me to pray for them. There's nothing wrong with praying for somebody. How many of you know if you can move right to the need, your prayers don't matter? Move to the need. Here's 
One thing I want to say, the Bible's clear. If your faith is not accompanied by working in the kingdom of God, it's a dead faith. It's inactive. It's dormant. It's ineffective. Here's the danger of that thought. We begin, we can, the danger is we can begin to move from a faith that challenges and activates us towards working in the kingdom of God to boiling our faith down to a coerced faith where we build our list of what we must do and the boxes we must tick and the things that must be accomplished so that we feel like we have right standing before God. Give you an example. Well, now that I'm saved, I got to read my Bible. Oh. Such a hard thing, you know. I gotta remember, I gotta pray, I gotta, I gotta go to church today. I really wanna make pancakes, but I gotta go to church. And we we come on, I'm telling the truth. And you can laugh. I'm glad you're laughing at me now. We've made progress. <laughs> <laughs> because how many of you know God is not desiring a coercive faith? He doesn't want, it's why, you know, the law was fulfilled. It's not that he wants us to go back to those religious rules or to those do's and don'ts or to those things. I appreciated the word that Kara gave. God is a God leading us to freedom. It's the law that sets us free. We don't have the, the coercion there anymore. God has removed the coercion or the forced obligation. Now our faith, if it's real, if it's alive, causes us to choose of our own will and our own volition, the things of God. To choose the things of God. And that's what James is getting at. Verse 18 says, someone may say, you have faith and I do good things. Prove to me you have faith when you are doing nothing and I will prove to you I have faith by doing things. What does that look like in our lives? I just wrote down a few things. Maybe, maybe an active faith, maybe that faith that God is talking about that is not coerced but is chosen. It's, it's when his purposes become our number one pursuit. Can you hear me? Hey, I'm all for having ambition in your career and ambition, you know, athletically or ambition in whatever, you know, woodworking, baby, you know, me and Troy, we're going to get there. There's ambition in that. I'm all for that. But it must be secondary to the pursuits of the kingdom of God. Why? Because nothing I do in my career or in my regular, you know, my interests or whatever, none of those things are eternal. But what I do for God's kingdom, what I engage in for the work of the kingdom of God is eternal. Are you with me? So when his purposes become our number one pursuit, and, and look, here's, here's what begs the question. Maybe some of us need to examine the purposes that we're pursuing in our life. Are they kingdom purposes? Maybe it's by following through on our commitments, not our obligations, but the things that we commit to. Like if you commit to work in the nursery, maybe you should show up. Just saying. If you commit to give finances to a missionary, you probably should follow through. I'm how, I mean, how many of you think, I mean, that's practical, right? How many of you know the Lord honors those who honor their word? Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think that was Jesus. Maybe it's by, maybe, sometimes I can't remember where stuff is. You know, it's, but it's in there, I promise. 
Sometimes, sometimes it's by sacrificially taking care of others, both intentionally and circumstantially. I think of things like the food pantry. Look, my goal in this is not to say you need to work in a ministry. That's not my goal. Just using examples. I think of the food pantry. That's an intentional way, week in and week out, that you can serve people's needs, right? How many of you agree with that? But probably if a brother or sister or your neighbor comes to you and says, man, we're really short. Do you, do you have some eggs I can borrow? Do you have, do you have anything I could feed my, you got some Chef Boyardee? I mean, what, do you have anything? You probably shouldn't say, you know, our food pantry's on Tuesday. <laughs> my church has a food pantry on Tuesday. I think they could help you. I'll pray for you. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe it's by increasingly becoming Christ-like in heart and spirit and attitude and treating others. And I thought of this, an an ever-increasing fruit of the Spirit in our life. How many of you need some help with that one? By serving with a glad heart, by living for eternity, by loving God, being in community, choosing to serve, and choosing to deliver hope to a very hopeless world. I think of those four thoughts, and I think, man, that is somebody whose faith is active. By seeking first the kingdom of God. He gives us two examples in the Bible here in this passage of folks that lived their life in such a way that their faith worked. And uh, the first one's Abraham. And I won't go through the whole story, but you know the story how he went, took Isaac to his son, to the altar, put him on the altar in order to obey God. And here's the interesting passage, verse 22, James 2, 22. You see, talking about Abraham, his faith, you see his faith working by what he did. So in other words, Abraham's faith worked because he stepped, he, you know, used it, he jumped off the cliff into the unknown. He didn't know how it was going to work out, but he took Isaac anyway. He took the knife anyway. He took the bundle of wood anyway. He didn't know. He, believed, he just believed that God was good. You with me? And that God, even if the wind didn't fill his wings and he fall flat on his face, he believed God could raise him from the dead. The Bible says God honored that and it was credited to him as righteous. I love how James says his faith, you see his faith working, but here's, here's the other kicker. His faith was made perfect. Think about that. It isn't enough to just believe intellectually in the things of God. If you don't step out and activate your faith, your faith can never become perfect. I'll say it this way, it stays infantile. If you've ever taken risks of faith, if you've, ever, if you've ever jumped off the cliff, you know what that feels like. And can I just say the first time God asks you to jump off the cliff, it's about this big, and you're like, woo, you know? Like, that's it. Like, well, God, that was good. And then he'll ask you to go a little higher and a little higher And eventually you get to the place when your faith becomes perfected where you can't even see the bottom. But because of all the little steps that you took, all the little leaps, all the little jumps, you're willing to leap into the unknown because he caught you every other time. Why would this time be any different? That's perfected faith. Are you with me? And that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. The second example is that of Rahab.
Sometimes I don't like um, technology. My sermon just disappeared. That's all right. We can make it through this as soon as I find it. <laughs> what was the name of this thing? Okay, there it is. <laughs> Rahab. The same way Rahab, and you know, I always thought, you know, Rahab must have heard about the God of Israel and heard about the power of the Lord and all these things. And so she was afraid, you know, that Israel was so powerful that it was going to overrun Jericho. As I read this passage and studied it, I, I found out that that's not really where her faith was. Rahab's faith was not in the power of the nation of Israel, because I'll remind you to that point, they hadn't conquered anybody. If anything, they'd run back to the desert with the tail between their legs. So now they show up at Jericho, the mightiest city in all of Mesopotamia. And they show up and they're like, hey, uh, God told us that we're going to have the city. And Rahab goes, okay, I'll help you, right? I mean, I'm, this is the VeggieTale version. <laughs> I'll help you. Why? Because, and why is Rahab credited with great faith? She's also found her own story in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the book, I mean like the all-star, the all-star team of faith. And it says, uh, the, the inference is that she didn't, it's not that she was afraid that Israel was going to destroy and murder her family. And by the way, she was also not afraid because if Israel had failed and they found out that Rahab had helped Israel, that's called traitor. Like you're not, you're probably going to get thrown off the wall, you know, kind of a deal. No, but her faith was in the God of Israel. Are you with me? Her faith wasn't in the might of the army, what she could see. Her faith was in the intangible of the God of Israel that she had only heard about. She had faith that she could be part, her family could be part of Israel's promise. And her faith led to action. Here's how James 2.24 puts it, and it messes with me. I just want you to know it messes with me. I hope it messes with you. A man and will slash woman becomes right with God by what he does and not by only faith. Did you see that? I mean, I'm not real sure how to exegete that. That's a fancy word. Sorry. I'm not real sure how to pull out all the deep truths of that. All I can read is at faith, face value. It said that Abraham acted on his faith. It says that Rahab acted on, their, on her faith, and somehow they, their faith became perfect, and they became righteous before God. So why would it be different for you and I? We can have faith, so do the demons. But if we activate the faith and we put it into practice and we let our heart be wrenched for the kingdom of God and we let the, the passions of our life, we let the affections of this world die away so that we can embrace the things of the Lord more fully and more completely, can I just say that that's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for in the world. That's the kind of faith that transforms. That's the kind of faith that saves closes the section with this. The worship team wants to come. The body is dead when there's no spirit. The NIV says when there's no breath, the body is dead. It's kind of the same with faith. Faith is dead 
when nothing is done. It's a powerful thought. So I want to close this with this. Five marks of dead faith. Because why? Because I want us to measure ourselves. I'm kind of an introspective guy. I like to sit in the dark in my office. You're going to think I'm weird. But the other day, I found a graveyard. And I love sitting in graveyards. You know why? Nobody talks to you. (laughs) I come to the church and sit in my office, and everyone talks to me. All the time. Which is wonderful. I love you all so much. But sometimes, I just need to deal with Jeff. How many of you need to deal with yourself now and then? And I learned about 10 years ago that if I would go sit in a graveyard, nobody would talk to me, nobody would bother me. I could have a marvelous conversation with God, and maybe the dead would come back to life. I mean, anything could happen in a graveyard. I've never actually prayed that, but because that'd be kind of creepy with most, anyway. Why? Because I want to examine myself. You're a wise person to examine introspectfully yourself. Why wait for someone else to come to you and point out a negative blind spot when I can let the Holy Spirit show me on his own? Amen? So five marks of a dead faith. May not be exhaustive, just five marks of a dead faith. An outward appearance is more important than inward purity. Outward appearance is more important than inward purity. Keeping up, number two, keeping up expectations is more important than selflessly serving. And I say it a different way, worrying about what everybody else thinks about you and your motive and your desire becomes more important and you begin to live your life for them rather than for the God who saved you. Number three, having the right answer or or maintaining your own opinion is more important than living biblically. Because here's what I've learned about my opinion. Sometimes I'm wrong. How many of you have found that to be true? Here's the question about your opinion, especially those ones you hold dogmatically to. What if you're wrong, and are you willing to let the Holy Spirit change your mind? Ooh, that's something right there. Number four, religion and rituals is more important than living by love which liberates. In other words, holding people to your idea of what God expects rather than what his idea of God expects, what what God's idea is, uh, is a sign of a dead faith. And lastly, you know how to talk the talk. You have wonderfully faith-filled Facebook posts, but when it comes to walking the walk, you are lacking. Generally, When your faith is dead, eventually a ho-hum, apathetic, and uninterested attitude takes over towards God, his kingdom, and his church. And usually in the reverse order, you first become apathetic about his bride, and then you become apathetic about him. You with me? Well... That's the negative. Can I leave you with the positive? 
Five marks of a living faith. I hope you find that you have more marks of a living faith than marks of a dead faith. But the good news is it can all be changed. Five marks of a living faith. A vibrancy to your worship, your prayer, your relationship with God, even in dry seasons, accompanied by a desire to be with God. So to you, it's not religion. It's being in fellowship and relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Like that is passionate to you. Number two, a true compassion and love for people which grows and grows. I mean, if as the older you get, people annoy you more and more, rather than you finding more compassion and love for them more and more, you might be doing it wrong. You with me? I know, it's all right. Number three, people who are having a living faith see the diminishing of their affections towards the things of this world and the things of this life. I'll tell you one of the hallmarks of that right there is when you just start writing checks and giving money away like crazy because you don't care anymore. That's a great hallmark of a perfected faith, a faith that is in line with the things of God. Why? Where your heart is, your treasure will be. Are you with me? So I'm not, I'm not telling you to go home and do that. It'd be awesome if you did. I'm just not saying that to you. I'm just saying one of the ways in America, in Western culture, we know God really has somebody's heart is when God has their pocketbook. It's a big deal. Number four, a dynamic to your service, whatever, however you serve, whether that's something nobody ever sees or knows about or whether it's on the front lines week in and week out, a dynamic to your service that reflects the truth of its eternality. You know when you serve in the nursery, you're doing eternal things. It's the most important thing that could be done that day because those babies need to know the presence of God. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? And lastly, a noticeable increase in the fruit of the Spirit. And I use the word noticeable for this reason. People ought to be able to tell that your gentleness is growing. Okay, guys, how many of you could stand to be a little more gentle? And ladies, love, everybody can love better. Joy, how many of you need more joy? Peace, patience, goodness, long-suffering, I don't remember the other ones. There's probably a kid's song about that. We'll find it. Point is just this. I want you to notice how most of those things begin internally, but affect others externally. You with me? If, you, if you're not patient or you're not gentle and you spout off to your spouse, that affects them, right? or you yell at Pastor Mark because you didn't like something that he did with the youth, that affects him. So those, the fruit of the Spirit are really driven by love your neighbor as yourself. And a person with living, dynamic faith is gonna be a person where the fruit of the Spirit is noticeably increasing in their life. Not perfect, noticeably 
increasing. Generally, when your faith is alive, your attitude is attractive, encouraging, and challenging to those in God's kingdom, but also those outside of God's, God's kingdom. The people who are not saved that you rub shoulders with in your life should notice the things happening in you and your faith and say, what is up with you? You are not who you used to be. What is going on with you? It should be an attractive faith. So, how will you measure your own faith? Is your faith a dead faith by James' definition? Or maybe by these five marks of dead faith? Can you be honest with yourself? Can you tell yourself the truth? What are the things in your life which prove a living faith? James said, prove it, didn't he? He said, prove that you have faith. What are those things that are marking your life, proving it? And lastly, what in your life needs to shift? today. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for so many things you've done this morning and so much work that you are after in our lives. You love us so much, God. Thank you for this challenge about having a living faith or a dead faith. Lord, I pray right now that as we pause in just this moment to see what you might want to say to us, that we would examine our own heart, not examine somebody else's heart, God, not examine the heart of our spouse, God, but examine our own heart. May we look inside and see the areas, God, where you might want to shift some things around so that our faith could be more alive. Or maybe, God, you want to encourage us and point out a few places where our faith has marks of a vibrant, living, transformational faith. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that each one in this room would ask the question, would examine their heart, would look inside and hear what the Spirit would say. What is he saying to you this morning? I'm just going to ask the worship team to just sing this verse, this song. I want, you to, I want you to stay put right now, just for a moment. Please don't get up and run out. I'm going to let you sit, but I want you to introspect. I want you to look and ask the Holy Spirit what kind of faith you have. Could you examine your heart right now as our worship team leads us?